Welcome to the Hope Sheds Light Rise with Hope podcast. I'm Pam. This season, I hope you join us for the Recovery Speak series. Each month, my guest and I will take a deep dive into the topic of recovery. We hear a lot about addiction, but in the Recovery Speak series, we will learn what recovery is, what it looks like, how it shows up in our communities, families, and friends. We will take a special look at how stigma can stand in the way of hope and healing and what some people are doing to overcome that. Please join us as we tackle the real issues, share actual experiences, offer a little strength, and provide a whole lot of hope. Hey everyone, welcome to the Rise With Hope podcast. We're um, recording from our live from my studio in uh, Red Bank, New Jersey. Um, here today with Katie from Ocean County College. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about her experience with substance use disorder, the opioid epidemic, all with the um, desire to educate and engage a broader audience um, to help lower the stigma that's generally related with substance use disorder, um, and to just share some of our strategies and self-care practices all in a way to um, build a community of support for families and individuals who are impacted by substance use. So thank you, Katie. Welcome to the Rise of Hope podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I usually um, ask people to just start with uh, sharing a little bit with the audience, whatever you're comfortable sharing um, on a personal level. What is your connection, if you have a connection, to the epidemic um, or any aspect of addiction? And what you clearly have a heightened uh, commitment from my lens to help, to provide resources and to help and to educate. So you, you could have made a lot of choices on how to you know, address this, but you, you decided to dive in and help out. And I'm wondering if there's something that is personal to you that makes you this invested. Absolutely. So I think I think we'd be hard pressed to find someone who hasn't been touched by a substance use disorder in some way. Um, And for me, it was being a part of my community. I grew up in Ocean County um, and I watched so many of my peers um, become involved and make a lot of the same decisions that I made as as an adolescent and a a young adult. you know, just by course of, of where their lives took them, um, I, I watched a lot of my peers struggle. Um, and as the opioid epidemic wore on, um, things just became more and more severe around me. And I just saw this, you know, from like a, I guess like a community lens, I just saw my friends and family struggling. Um, and I always kind of found myself in a role. And, and um, when I went, when I went to school, took my first psychology class and I was like, Oh, this is what's going on. Um, You know, I always found myself in a role where people felt comfortable talking to me, Um, you know, not because I would pry or because it was, you know, an official role, but I just found myself in, in that place for, in a lot of my relationships. And, when I pursued my, my degrees and, and, you know, my professional experience, it just became this really natural fit for me. Um, and I just felt like I'm, I'm witnessing this, 
this problem and this difficulty and these really, really beautiful people struggling. Um, and I have this talent. So let's let's use it and let's see what kind of a difference I can make. And it kind of grew from there. Um, and the more changes I saw in the people that I was working with, the more it motivated me to, to keep going um, and to go deeper and to just reach as many people as I can. And when I first started, I remember saying to myself, if I can help one person's life change, then, then my work is worth it. My efforts are worth it. Um, I know we, we talk about the four to one, you know, so if you're helping one person, there's four or five other people that are influenced by that uh, help or by that change in that one person. So like it's really four people out of the one or five people out of the one. And um, yeah. so I, can you, can you uh, describe your role at the college? Cause I forgot to do that when we started and I no, wanted that's to okay. um, we dove right in. Uh, so at the college, my official title is a prevention education coordinator. So I am one of the staff members in our counseling center. So I am one of three licensed counselors, licensed professional counselors at um, OCC, and we provide free and confidential counseling to all of our students. Um, and the other hat that I wear is in prevention. So we address topics like, um, like substance use disorder and, and alcohol abuse, drug abuse, anything like that. Um, and also suicide prevention, domestic violence prevention or interpersonal violence prevention um, and sexual violence. Um, so we work to help our students um, thrive in an environment that supports them holistically. So not only are our students, of course, because they're enrolled in the college pursuing their academics, but in the counseling center, we support our students in all other aspects of their lives. So, um, you know, it's a really, really cool opportunity to be able to see what's going on with our student population and do something about it. So if I see a bunch of students coming in and they're saying I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, um, and I see this need, I have a platform to be able to create something to help. Um, and that's where our recovery support program really came out of, is just being aware that even if our students aren't sharing it publicly, and sometimes our students have difficulty with that because they want to keep that separate from their professional or their academic careers. Um, you know, sometimes we run into that. Uh, I know that recovery is on our campus. Um, it's everywhere. So creating a safe place and a place where our students feel supported and recognized um, is what the purpose really of, of our recovery support program is. And yeah, so some clinicians uh, have some hesitation or misunderstanding uh, regarding how to work with a peer professional or a peer, you know, peer workforce. And I know because we're involved in the partnership with you guys that I feel like we have this great um, cohesive relationship that uh, builds off of, you know, we build off of each other and we support each other. So how have you uh, what have you learned about working with the peers uh, to roll out this center, the Recovery Wellness Center on campus? And do you see their interactions with you and with the student body as an asset? And in, in what way do you, you know, is that the case if, if you see it that way? Oh, absolutely. I think 
Um, you know, I think it comes from a shift in the field in general, which, um, you know, everybody's at different stages, I think, and, and working towards that, but I, but it's a really cool time to be a part of the field and seeing this happen where people are being viewed as resources, like light bulb, right? All of a sudden we're like, everybody has something to offer. And, um, I don't claim to have all of the answers ever. Um, I even tell clients or students that I'm working with, I'm like, if I knew all the answers, my own life would probably look a little bit different, (laughs) but here we are trying to figure it all out together. And, um, you know, working with a peer workforce, I think really fills in a lot of the gaps that me alone would, would have in the work that I'm doing. Um, so I am super excited to be able to support the people and the, the participants in our program and, and just people in general, um, with perspectives from all over and every area of the field, whether it be peer support, um, you know, clinical treatment, whatever that person is willing to give to the cause. I think we're all working towards the same goal. Um, and if we can find a voice that speaks to somebody, even if it's not mine, I don't care. I want that voice to be heard. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's great. That's, I think, um, I know that when we first started talking about the possibility of working together on this project, uh, you know, I was excited about bringing a collegiate recovery, you know, program and building a collegiate recovery community at the community college level, uh, because I think so many of our, of my colleagues start out there, you know, they're re-entering their lives after the active phase of addiction. Oftentimes they need to start at the community college level to rebuild their academic or for the first time kind of explore their academic goals. So Although the state had a couple of programs on the four-year campus, I believe you're the first to have a uh, community college uh, program. Yeah. And so yay for you guys. Yay! For being, you know, <laughs> innovators and stepping out. Was it hard um, administratively to sort of get buy-in and, you know, really kind of roll this out? I know it wasn't hard from the top of your department because, you know, Kate is she's so enthusiastic and so supportive mm-hmm. but I'm just wondering like it, it it's got to be hard right to introduce something new to an institution I don't know yeah. I, I think it's been a long time coming I, I think that um there has been a movement on campus for a long time um you know and I think they really this was also before my time at the college and I think they laid a lot of the groundwork and the foundation um, for what was to come and when the funding became available and, um, you know, and we were able to apply for it, um, you know, it, it kind of just, the, the stars really aligned. Um, and we've done a lot of work in raising awareness on campus. And that has been part of my job as well is, you know, creating a louder voice of recovery on campus and um, fighting, if there is stigma, you know, in the back of people's minds, whether they want to admit it or not, they're not familiar with the field if they don't know what it is. Um, You know, it's a place for people to see that 
people do recover, um, you know, and we need to recognize that, um, you know, uh, of course there were times when I guess you could say like some education was necessary, um, which is cool. I welcome those opportunities to be able to let people in on, you know, the, the beauty of what we do, um, and helping people to see that. And, you know, it's been met with open arms upon, you know, that just education, raising awareness, um, which is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, my, my dad always quoted, you know, education is the great equalizer, you know, Mm -hmm. in many contexts, but I, I find often that it really is about just needing the education, sometimes breaking through the stigma or resistance that's you know rooted in fear is from a lack of understanding. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, and we're better than an educational institution, right? To, to, to use that. <laughs> but, um, yes, it's, it's wonderful ground to, um, you know, people are here to learn. So mm-hmm. that's, that's okay. perfectly. And I think, um, part of our mission is to really begin to lower that um, the stigma uh, by just having dialogue, general conversation with as many different people as we can who have all, all various lenses related to this issue. Um, and if we make it just a general topic of conversation, something you say might resonate with someone who never you know, outside the walls of your institution through this podcast, hopefully, who might not have ever really looked at it the way that you're describing it, because maybe they, sh- you know, they're in a similar role as you. Imagine if you, someone's listening to us and they're a LPC or LCADC and they're like, wow, maybe I should engage with some peer workers and see if that mm-hmm. can enhance my practice or something like that. So your participation in the podcast really helps us. Um, get, you know, address stigma. Um, <laughs> it sounds like the way you're addressing it on campus is through education. And that's, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And hopefully now that we're physically back, we can, you know, generate some more traction in terms of uh, activity with students. I know we're working hard at that as well. Do you have, um, you know, this, I didn't, this is a, could be a challenging question, but do you have an experience through the last couple of years that stands out for you in terms of like, um, makes you reinforce your investment or your passion or, or just reinforces your commitment and knowing that you're in the right, you're going in the right direction, any story or experience you've had that might, um, have just fueled your passion a little bit more. Hmm. That is an interesting question. I know from my lens, again, it, we're unique in that we um, we work together on this project. So mm-hmm. I know that we were immediately hit with COVID. So, um, which really kind of put a, a damper on what we were trying to do. But from my lens, what I, your reaction to that uh, was just to get, more creative and more invested mm-hmm. in making sure that we were successful uh, and doubled down really on the work. It's, <laughs> so, you know, you came up with some great ideas on how to get the word out. And so I don't know if there's a story in there or something like that. My lens, you just doubled yeah. down. Word. I, mean, I did my best to, we definitely, um, 
you know, if, if we've gotten through the last <laughs> couple of years, Pam, I think it'll be smooth sailing moving forward. Um, you know, I think what always fuels my passion and what keeps me going is some of the insights that I hear from the students that I work with. And, you know, without, of course, sharing too much detail about this person, because it's, of course, with confidentiality, but, um, you know, it was something that brought tears to my eyes. One day I, um, you know, it was just a, whatever I was in the middle of. And, um, you know, one of the students that I work with shot me an email and just said, hey, do you have a couple minutes? I said, of course. So, you know, sent over a quick, you know, as in the times that we are, sent over a quick WebEx link. Um, and what she told me was that, and, and this sounds so simple, but, you know, I guess it's hard to explain the how profound this really is without going into detail about the issues that this person is dealing with. But um, what she said was that she, for the first time, she was in a grocery store and she made a selection of what she wanted to buy. And for the first time, she was able to do that without having this voice in the back of her head questioning her decision-making, questioning, um, you know, her value-based judgment and things like this. And she was able to just make a decision for the sake of her choice. Mm. And, you know, that this person had, this has been a struggle for this person for a very, very long time. And it, it brought tears to my eyes just because I've been working with this person for a very long time. Um, and just the simple act of helping someone be able to trust their own judgment again and be able to make their own decisions, even something so simple as what selection they wanted to make at the grocery store, which some of us might take for granted, but how powerful the work really can be um, in changing people's lives. It was like, I was a brand new counselor again. And I was like, okay, I know I'm doing the right thing. Even if um, you know, I might be holding workshops that nobody attends or, you know, sitting in empty meetings and, you know, really holding space, um, at times hoping that someone that needs what we're offering is going to receive it and, and take the opportunity. Um, you know, again, it's moments like that, that just make it all worth it. I think it's, you know, it's such a great story to share because this is about our day to day, like this mm-hmm. comes down into the minute by minute of our lives. Um, and working our way back from active addiction oftentimes includes shutting down that negative tape that's just running in our head that helps fuel our dependency um, through chipping away at our confidence and, and self-esteem. So to hear for you to be witness to somebody regaining that, you know, yeah. it's beautiful, right? It's powerful. Mm-hmm. And again, you're right. We, sometimes we sit in empty rooms or one person and I just want to bring your attention and our audience attention back to that's not just one person. That one person is a vessel and, and a, you know, to other, you know, multiple mm-hmm. other people. And, um, you know, you don't know if they're a parent, you don't know, you know, a sibling or a spouse and how many people their renewed confidence might influence and affect moving moving forward. And that's how we break the cycle, a generational cycle of addiction, you know, by by little steps like that. So thank you for that. Um, I, I don't know if I shared with you that our podcast actually started during COVID. 
Um, mm-hmm. our, and we, we started it as Rise with Hope. We're now kind of also including Recovery Speaks as a concept uh, for the podcast. But the Rise with Hope effort was really to help people do just that, rise up every day with hope during the shutdown um, with COVID. And we would go on Facebook Live um, and just do a little bit of um, inspirational conversation and then share like a self-care practice. So I always like to ask our guests if they are willing to share with our audience, do you have a practice for yourself like that you use for self-care um, even if it's just in a moment or if it's a regular daily practice and something maybe you can share with our audience to help them in their daily lives. I know I should be practicing what I preach much better than I actually do. So, you know, it's, it's thank you, Pam, for asking this, um, you know, mm-hmm. renewing my commitment. Um, so I guess I can also recognize how challenging it is sometimes in the hustle and bustle of every day. And, and sometimes we forget Um, but what I try to do is, um, you know, when, when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm instantly, um, my attention is instantly demanded by, um, two tiny little dictators, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, you know, and, and whatever else might be, might be going on in the house that morning, um, you know, very blessed of course, to, to, to have those, um, you know, to be needed in that way. Um, but it's exhausting at times and it's sometimes really important for me to, um, wake up a little bit early to have a couple moments of quiet, um, before the chaos begins and really recognizing and kind of taking stock of like, what does my day consist of and what am I going to need today? Um, so whether that's making sure that I have time to take a true break during my work day, whether it's, um, you know, making sure that I am aware of, you know, what needs to be done so that I can feel truly relaxed at the end of the day that, that after bedtime kind of time is, is my, um, my solitude. So, um, you know, and I'm one of those people, I know it about myself that I really feel my best when my environment doesn't feel very chaotic. So I like to make sure that, um, you know, things are the way that I like them in my home. So that way, when I sit down at the end of the day, I'm looking around, it's not like I'm looking around at chaos. If if things outside of me feel um, messy and and that kind of thing, then my head feels kind of messy. So, you know, I like to just, again, take notice of what I need for that day. um, You know, so that even if I don't have a second to myself until the end of the day, at least I have that to look forward to. And I know that that's there for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I can do the best that I can to create that space um, for myself and just keeping it in the back of my mind, knowing um, that I will have that time to myself, even if I can't get it throughout the day. So what I hear you saying, I'll just reflect back is, you know, and I want the audience to hear this, that you, you, you're purposeful really in building that time. Sometimes we um, forget that it's okay to plan self-care time, you know, yeah, you know, it's all right to build it into your schedule because, and oftentimes if you don't build it into your schedule, it's not, it's not happening because it's not in your schedule. So it's yeah. not spontaneous. 
So I like that, that I do that as well. I'll try to get up. I'll set my alarm a little bit early so that I can sit and just be peaceful and meditate for 10 minutes in the morning. I don't do it every morning, but I, I try to ramp it up. If I have a particularly busy week or month ahead of me, like I really have to get specific about writing it in. So I do it. So that's really, that's what I hear you saying. Like you value that time because you know that if you don't do that, things can get chaotic and then that disrupts every, every other aspect of your day, you know? So thank you for sharing that technique with Mm -hmm. us. I also just want to thank you and the college because um, we want the message to be out there that the bigger part of somebody's journey with this issue is recovery. You know, the biggest part is, is how long and how filling and fulfilling your recovery journey can be and shift off of uh, not not to put not to not discuss the addiction or the active addiction, but to really shift our audience's mindset into what it looks like and can feel like mm-hmm. to have a long recovery journey. And so much of that is dependent upon people being able to tap into goals and dreams and aspirations. And um, you help people do that. This program helps people, you know, look at their lives with possibility. Um, instead of despair, instead of thinking, you know, I'm not going to get a job and I'm going to be homeless or I'm going to struggle. What you're offering is a pathway that includes hope and goals and and desire. So I really want to thank you for stepping outside the box and bringing this program to the university, to the college, sorry, and, um, and making it successful, no matter what, no matter what pandemic hits us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. And thank you for that recognition, Kim. It really means a lot. You know, it's um, a lot of times, I think, especially in early recovery, people get kind of bogged down by, um, you know, it's just going to meetings or it's just doing this, or it's just taking away this thing out of my life. And, um, you know, that message of, it's really building, um, building a new life, building a life worth living, building a life that you value and that you enjoy and you find fulfilling and being able to get to know yourself in a new way. And that's really, you know, I appreciate you recognizing that because it is what I strive to help people to do. Mm-hmm. All right. So I again, want to thank you for joining the rise with hope podcast today. And, um, allowing our audience to hear from your heart and to learn about your program. And mm-hmm. I look forward to our continued work together as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Pam. And thank you to everybody listening. Thank you for joining us today on the Hope Sheds Light Rise with Hope podcast and the Recovery Speak series. If you are enjoying Rise with Hope, you can join us by subscribing on iTunes. The Recovery Speak series is supported by Monmouth Cares of Monmouth County and the Ocean County Health Department. We really want to hear from you. Please send in your comments, share your stories with us. Let us see how recovery is working in your life and in your communities. You can visit us at hopeshedslight.org. Have a great day and we'll see you next month. Thank you for listening to Rise with Hope.